Praise the Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, the privilege to preach your word, to hear your word, and to be inspired by your word. I pray, God, that the word that would go forth would find seed in our heart and bear fruit in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. No, just take it. I'd like to preach to you this morning. Build the wall. Build the wall. There's a picture that's being planted and painted very clearly in our society. Our society is out of control. Opinions, behaviors, and beliefs. I call it extremism. Relativism and humanism seem to overtake our society. Absolute truth, what the Bible teaches, is no longer the belief and the faith of many people. Violence, hatred, and bitterness has been simmering for quite a while, and now in some instances, boiling over. As in the days of old, the wall that protected Jerusalem was torn down. And the same situation is occurring in our families, our churches, and our country. I'd like to give you a quote by Oprah Winfrey. Not a fan. Not a fan of her new religion. But I believe this sums it up. Quote, the famous talk show host said in a new interview, she feels the reason behind the latest string of violence is that people are missing a core moral center. She says this, churches used to do that. It was a central place you could come to, and there was a core center of values about a way of living and being in the world. Until we can return to that, however that is, in whatever form, we will continue to be lost, Winfrey told Renee Barr during the extra interview, end of quote. I want to read that again. The famous talk show host said in a new interview, she feels the reason behind the latest string of violence is that people are missing a core moral center. Churches used to do that. It was a central place you could come to. And there was a core center of values about a way of living and being in the world. Until we can return to that, however, that is, in whatever form, we will continue to be lost, Winfrey told Renee Barr during the extra interview. End of quote. There are some perplexing scriptures in the word of God. And... A few of us were mulling it over the other day, and I decided to include it in my sermon for two reasons, which I will explain. In 2 Chronicles chapter 35 and verse 19, in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah was this Passover kept, and it was a Passover. It was an unbelievable Passover, if you read about it. 
After all this, when Josiah prepared the temple, Necho, the king of Egypt, came up to fight Carchemish by Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent ambassadors to him, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Forbear thee from meddling with God, who is with me, that he destroy thee not. The king, Necho, was saying to Josiah, Even though I'm a pagan king, and I'm not of your faith, God has spoken to me. And I'm telling you, don't get involved with my war against Karshemish. Don't go there. Don't even think about it. It's going to cost you. The Bible says in verse 22 of 2 Chronicles 35, Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him, and hearkened not unto the words of Necho from the mouth of God, and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot at King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Have me away, for I am sore wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot, and put him in the second chariot that he had. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died, and was buried in one of the sepulchres of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. And all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah in their lamentations to this day. And made them an ordinance in Israel. And behold, they are written in the lamentations. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to that which was written in the law of the Lord, in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, was the Passover kept. What happened? Two things. Did Josiah miss it? Josiah was probably one of the greatest kings in the Old Testament. Impeccable record. Impeccable king. Became king when he was eight years old. Imagine. Reigned for a long time. The land was blessed. But he made one decision that cost him his life. He made one decision that he did not seek God for, and it cost him his life. The question is, did Josiah miss it? Did Josiah lean on his own understanding? It's not quite clear, as he was such a great king. What can we learn from this? And what we need to learn from this in the last days, and this is a last day discussion at this moment, We must inquire of God concerning every decision that we make from here on in. We must. It's not haphazard. It's not throwing paint on the wall, as you've heard me say many times, and expecting the Mona Lisa to appear. There has to be a time of prayer. Sometimes a time of fasting. Sometimes a time of counseling with other people. Sometimes just some good old-fashioned Bible. The other explanation is this. The first one is 
Did he lean to his own understanding? I mean, I've been preaching on this. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Yes, is it always easy to be led by God? Yes, is it always easy to be acknowledging God? No. No, absolutely not. It's a hard-fought battle. It's decisions every day. It's emotions and feelings that sometimes override the word of God. The other explanation was Josiah, was he possibly experiencing what was recorded prior in the Bible, in the Psalms? He knew, and God knew, that judgment was coming because the people really didn't want the word of God. And so I found the verses in Psalm 55, 4, and yes, it pertains to Jesus, and it pertains to any of us that have been betrayed. And he says this, was Josiah experiencing this? My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me, has covered me. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Lo, then I would wander afar off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Was Josiah experiencing that? Was he saying to himself, I know judgment's coming. And did God allow him to go into battle to cause his death? prematurely. You say, do we have scripture? My question is this. Was God gracious to Josiah by taking him out so he did not have to experience the coming judgment? I found a verse in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 1. The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth to the heart, and merciful men are taken away None considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. In the message version, it says this. Meanwhile, right living people die and no one gives them a thought. God fearing people are carted off and no one even notices. The right living people are out of their misery. They are finally at rest. They have lived well and with dignity. And now they're finally at peace. I believe a merciful God sometimes takes people out and causes them to decease because he does not want them to experience the hell that will come upon the face of this earth in the days to come. The wall is down. Why did this happen? Why is this happening today? I looked at some verses the Lord directed me to in Psalm 80 and verse 12. And they're crying out to God and they're saying to the Lord in a question, Why hast thou hmm, then broken down her hedges, which in Hebrew means walls or fence, so that all they which pass by do pluck her? The people are asking God, Why is the wall broken down? Broken down in Hebrew means to break through or down or over. It means to burst. It's a breach. And a breach is an opening. 
It's a break. It's a crack. It's a fissure. It's a rupture. It's a gap. The dam has broken in America. Social values. Morals. It's been broken. The walls are down. We can look at this and we can look over it and we can compromise and think this is not happening. But this is happening. I can't even describe to you a disturbing article that I wrote, that I read yesterday from one of my newsletters that I receive in the mail. One of the most disturbing that I can't even say in the house of God in front of children what's taking place in our society. We're in a moral dilemma. And unfortunately, preachers don't have the guts and the courage to stand before the people and speak the word of God. We've lost it. We've lost it. They want to take in God we trust. They don't even want people to be sworn in. I put that on the internet yesterday, if you saw the video. In our own halls of Congress, a congressman, Natler, said that is not appropriate for this environment. We're in a sad situation. The hedges, the fence has fallen. The message version says this, and they're talking to God, and they're saying to God, so why do you no longer protect your vine? Trespasses pick its grapes at will. The enemy is plucking the fruit. The enemy is plucking the fruit of your vine, and that's our children and our grandchildren. And he's plucking them. Over 800,000 children in America every year are missing. And I can't even tell you what those children are doing at this moment. It would be inappropriate. That's over 2,000 a day, my friend. And we're worried if our hamburger was cooked right. We get antsy if we don't get our meal on time. We get overclamped over stupidity and ignorance. And in the meanwhile, the enemy is coming and plucking our families and breaking down our walls. Our sons and our daughters at risk. Who's willing to sound the trumpet? The Bible says in Psalm 80 and 13, as they ask God that question, the Bible says, the boar or the pig, the wild pig out of the woods dost waste it. And the wild beast of the field doth devour it. Does what? That's what he's doing to our society. The wild pig has come into our homes and our churches and our communities and our country. What is the boar? It's the wild hog. And when you look in the Hebrew, it means this, swine as forbidden fruit. Follow me here. The wild pig is devouring our homes and is represented as the forbidden fruit. This has earmarks of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. The forbidden fruit was gathered by Adam and Eve and caused a spiritual cataclysmic earthquake. There's some things that are forbidden. There's some things that God says no to. It's the absolute truth. It's not relativism. It's not what fits for the moment. It's not humanism. And when we start to lean on that understanding, we have lost our moral and spiritual compass in our lives. The boar, it says, wastes. You know what it does? 
That means to tear apart and to ravage and to tear off. It means to devour. Just like a cow goes into the pasture and eats grass. The enemy is laughing at us and he's going into the pasture with our sons and our daughters and our grandchildren and he's grazing upon them. He's ravishing them. He's enjoying the meal. Because he can't get to God because he's already been defeated. But you can get to the children of the parent and try to devour them and ravish them. The Bible says in the ESV version, in the, in the message version, wild pigs crash through and crush it, and the mice nibble away at what's left. Psalm 80 and 13 in the ESV version says, the boar, the pig from the forest, ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. What does it mean to ravage? It means to devastate, destroy, ruin. The HCSB version says, the boar from the forest gnaws at it, and the creatures of the field feed on it. What does it mean to gnaw? It means to chew, to bite, to take nibbles. <laughs> the enemy is like a cat playing with a mouse before he kills it. Our homes and our churches and our country are being ravished and wasted as the enemy gnaws upon our marriages, our children, and brings social disorder in our country. If that's not enough to break your heart up till this point, if that's not enough to touch your heart to this point, too many people have their heads in the sand, and too, people, too many people aren't seeing what's happening, how the enemy is setting us up for destruction to overcome us. Electronics. Social media. One brother said on Wednesday night, you'll never beat electronics. No, we can't. But we can control it in our homes. There's ungodly sites that 90% of men go to. There's ungodly sites that millions of women go to, unbeknownst. To others. The root of so many problems in America, the root of all this trafficking that you're reading about that God has revealed is the tip of the iceberg. But underneath, it's these ungodly sites that promote, motivate, and cause people to be possessed eventually by spirits that cause them to cause harm to our children at a very, very young age. You can't even imagine. I take time to read. I take time to study. I take time to hear the cry of the human heart as a pastor because I've seen the future through the word of God. It's time to pray. It's time to intercede. The prayer to God concerning the crisis, the people said this, in Psalm 80 and verse 14, return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Come back, please. Don't allow the vine that you planted. Don't allow the homes and the marriages and the children that you planted in our vineyard to be destroyed any longer. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine. You must pray for your family and say, God, visit this vine. 
and the vineyard which thy right hand has planted, and the branch that thou hast made strong for thyself, it is burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Our homes are on fire. Our country's on fire spiritually. Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man whom thou madest strong for thyself. So thy right hand upon the man whom thou madest strong, so we will not go back from thee. Quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. We're so preoccupied with things that are not even important. We're so preoccupied with nonsense, debate, and strife, and envy, and jealousies, that Paul said, you know why you have wars among you? Read it. Read it because of your own lusts. <laughs> we don't even know the enemy is coming in sometimes. In Psalm 80 and verse 14, in the message version, it says, God of the angel armies, turn our way. Take a good look at what's happened and attend to this vine. Care for what you once tenderly planted. The vine you raised from a shoot. And those who dare to set it on fire, give them a, a look that will kill. Then take the hand of your once favorite child, the child you raised to adulthood. We will never turn our back on you. Breathe life into our lungs so we can shout your name. God of the angel armies, come back. Smile your blessing smile. This will be our salvation. Amen. We must eliminate all leaven from our homes. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, this is the word of God. Your glorying is not good. That's a powerful word. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We must identify in all of our homes what that leaven is. We must identify in our churches and in our communities what is that leaven that we can get rid of. It's a conscious choice. It's a conscious effort. It starts, to me, with electronics. It starts with people not really seeking the Word of God. It starts without us being role models to those that are following us. What is the leaven? What's the leaven in our lives? What's the leaven in our homes? Because it just takes a little bit of leaven to leaven the whole lump. And people glory in it. We teach our sons in the world, go sow your oats while you can. Go do your thing. Be moral. Go drink. Get drunk. Have a good time. Buy all the toys you want before you get married. What kind of moral inclination is that? What kind of advice is that from a parent telling his son or his daughter, just go do. Don't worry about God. He'll catch up with you sooner or later. Maybe not. We must sense a horror. We must sense a horror that's come upon our land. Out of control doesn't even describe closely what's happening in our homes and communities. 
The psalmist said concerning the horror in Psalm 55 and 5, he said, fearfulness and trembling are come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. It's covered me. What's the horror? It's the fear. It's the shuddering. It's the trembling of what you know is going to happen in the future if we're not careful. God already described it in the Bible. He's already told us that violence will increase. Moral decay. He's already told us. But yet people are not responding to it. And they're saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse 53, horror has taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake the Lord. Doesn't it make you mad? Doesn't it make you angry? When you listen to the news and they're trying to make evil good? Doesn't it make you angry when they start to go back and forth? You just feel like saying, what a horror. It's like one preacher said, it's becoming end time fatigue. It's hard to bear. It's hard to even listen to the insanity of what's coming out of the mouth of people who say they're leaders. Men who are writing books and saying the virgin birth is not true. Men who once stood behind a pulpit saying hell is not true. It's happening. And the alarm doesn't seem to be heard in the land. And yesterday when I looked at that video, I said to myself, how much further down the road is America going to decay before God comes in and destroys the vine or allows it to be destroyed? The word horror means to be sad looking, to be vexed, to be enraged, to be out of humor. It's not a funny time. It's just not a funny time to be angry, to appear perplexed and troubled. More and more, as the news is unfolding, we see the decay in society in the halls of Congress, in government, in high places. How does a man who's in a jail cell, who's supposed to be guarded, how does he commit suicide? Are we serious? I call it assisted suicide. Oh, he was a bad man. He was a very bad man. What a horror it must have been in that cell for him. For his life to end in that way. And then if he didn't make it right with God, the next moment he opened his eyes, he's looking at an eternal hell forever and ever. What a terrible way to end. What a terrible way for people to write about your legacy. Oh, they say heads will roll. I have my doubts. There will be excuses. There will be cover-ups. You know why? 
Because it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more underneath that some folk don't want the public to know. Our houses are on fire and the walls are broken down. Second Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 19. Listen to what the word says. And they burned the house of God. They burnt the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. You think the enemy's playing? As I've said before, all he needs is a little crack in the door to bust down the hinges. That's all he needs. They burnt the church. They burnt down the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Is America there? Is God hiding his face? Have we crossed that bridge? The remnant must build a wall. We must see ourselves as the house of Joseph. Joseph was a prototype of Christ to come. And Joseph went through a lot of suffering. He went through accusations. He did time in prison for something he did not even do. But I like and I rejoice that the Lord was with him. We have to ask ourselves a question. Do we want to be part of a remnant that will help rebuild the wall in our homes, in our marriages, in our churches, and in our communities? Mind you, it's a mountain. And mind you, not one person or a few people is going to be able to stem the tide of the dam that's already been broken. But we can do something. Come on. Come on. I said we can do something. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in, in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Build the wall. Build the wall. Build the wall. Build the wall. So that our houses are not put on fire, and the walls broken down. And the goodly vessels in our home are not taken for spoils by the wild boar. We can do something. We can start in our own backyard. 
we must get to work and do what God and his word is calling us to do. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 17 says, Then said I unto them, he's the cupbearer. He's living in the king's house some seven or 900 miles away from where this is taking place. But he's concerned. He's got a cushy job. He's well set, Nehemiah. He's a prophet of God. Why would he want to be disturbed with what's going on in a distant land? The question is, are we willing to be disturbed about what's going on even in a distant land, let alone our own land? He said, you see the distress that we're in? How Jerusalem lies waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. What a mighty task. Only possible by God, through God, and with God. I'm going to say that again. To build a wall is a mighty task in our homes. To build it around our marriages and our children and our posterity is a mighty, mighty job that's only possible by God and through God and with God. By God and through God and with God. By God and through God and with God. It's not humanism. It's not our human thought. It's not our opinions. We must not be deterred by negative and debilitating voices. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 3. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him and said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. No in the name of Jesus. I reject your negativity. I reject your criticism. What he's saying is this. No matter what you build, if a fox goes up there, it's going to fall down. You are wrong, sir. Because what God builds will not fall. What God builds and what you stand for will not fall, my friend. We only fall if we compromise. We only fall if we get away from this sacred book. We only fall if we turn away from God. That's the only way you can fall. That's the only thing that can separate you from the love of God. Those were external voices. And then there are the internal voices. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 10. And Judah said, one of his own, the strength of the bearer of burdens is decayed and there's much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. Judah, you're the family of praise. What are you saying to the man of God? What are you saying to the prophet Nehemiah? What What are you saying? It's enough, Nehemiah said that I have to deal with external forces. And now I have to deal with internal forces that are trying to stop me from rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. We must remove all rubbish. We must remove all obstacles. And we must remove all opposition. Because we are able through him to build. We are able through him to be sustained. See something, say something. Great motto. See something, say something. Don't close your eyes. Don't find out five years later that your kid's been on drugs for five years and you didn't even know it. 
see something, watch for patterns. Watch for inconsistencies. Look for the talk or the lack of. What's God saying this morning? The Lord brought me to verses in Exodus of all places. I'm coming to a close. We must make haste. As time is short to get our homes in order. And I'll explain that as the Lord spoke to me. He said to the children of Israel in Exodus 12 and verse 11, And thus shall you eat it, the Passover, with your loins girded, have your clothes on, your shoes on your feet, and your staff, your walking stick in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. I know we always tell our children, take your time to eat. Chew every bite 25 times. This is one time where God overruled that rule and said, people, get ready. Go forth. Go forth. Be ready to leave. Have your clothes on. Make sure your shoes are buckled. And eat in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. And will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the God. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses which you are. And when I see the blood, not our cutesies, not how handsome or pretty we are, not how much money we have, not our car, not our homes. When I see the blood. I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt for destruction. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial and you shall keep it at the feast of the Lord throughout your generations. So shall you keep it as a feast by an ordinance forever. I say this to you this morning, brothers and sisters, that God is passing through the land. And God is identifying those whose hearts have been struck by the blood of Jesus. I bring that to you this morning. I believe God is passing through the land. Even at this moment. In our homes, in our churches, in our communities, in our countries, in government. He's passing. This world is in debt for over $250 trillion. Our own country is in debt for $21 trillion, And that's not even accurate. But think of being in debt for $250 trillion. Go to your computer and look up the debt clock. It's one of the most remarkable things you've ever seen in your lifetime. It just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. Just Google in debt clock. You'll be amazed statistically. Go to another site called Save America. It's a Christian lawyer. And go under the heading statistics. Get you a good grip on your chair when you read the statistics. Statistics about whatever you can imagine going on in society. 
different categories. Plan to spend a few hours in amazement of what's happening even in our own land. God spoke to me directly yesterday, and I heard a word that I have never really actually used in my lifetime. The word was proclivity. I did a double take. I said, is that you speaking to me? Proclivity. I had no clue what that meant. So I went and looked up the word. It means a tendency to choose or do something regularly. An, incl an inclination or predisposition toward a particular thing. Proclivity is a liking, a tendency, a leaning, a propensity, a bent, a participation, a preference, and a fondness. And I thought of Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do I have a proclivity toward God? Do I have a proclivity toward Matthew 6.33? Does my home, does our church, our community, does our country have a proclivity toward God? Further, as God's speaking to me, set your house in order. I said, Lord, that's for dying people. He said, not necessarily. Set your house in order. Not as someone dying, but as someone continuing to live. We must enter into a season of prayer. This is a season of preparation. We must allow the word of God access to our hearts. The word of God is our provision, our protection, our preservation. The word of God is our possession that will ensure us a posturing by faith against the enemy, standing and performing the works of God. I want to read that again. It's a lot to receive at one moment. But God's speaking to my spirit and to my heart. Proclivity. Set your house in order. Not as someone that's ready to die, but as someone that's continuing to live. We must enter a season of prayer. This is a season of preparation. If you ask me what God is saying at this moment, it's a time of preparation. Get those things done that are distracting you from Matthew 6.33. Get it done. Make a list. Get some help. Throw out. Get rid of. Have a yard sale. Empty your boxes. Empty your closets. Get ready. Get dressed. Put your shoes on. Have your walking stick at hand. Make haste. That's what God's saying. No time for procrastination. No time for no decision because a no decision is a decision to do nothing. 
preparation. We must allow the word of God to access our hearts. The word of God is our provision. Preaching the word of God is providing the word to the people. He sent his word and healed the people. It's our protection. It's our preservation. The word of God is our possession. And I love this part that the Lord gave to me. That will ensure us a posturing. Have you ever seen two cats posture against each other? One will back down and slowly turn, very delicately, very gingerly, and go to their corner and leave the confrontation. God is speaking to my spirit and he's saying, I want to give you a posturing by faith against the enemy, standing, standing. Performing the works of God. What did God speak to Paul after he went through Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 and the weapons of warfare? When you've done all, stand. Okay, devil, bring it on. Bring it on. Been there, done it. Bring it on. Because if you know your place in Christ and your authority, God will make provision for you. That your vine will not be plucked by the wild pig. And that's what's trying to enter into our home. Electronic, social media, and all the garbage that people are taking place in. Television. Things we shouldn't even be viewing and looking at. We should be asking ourselves, is anything that I'm viewing or listening to break the Ten Commandments? Because people don't even want to think about that anymore. Am I tasting? Am I touching? Am I doing anything that's outside the will of God that will cause my walls to be broken down and my house set on fire? We can all remember the great rains and the floods that hit Louisiana some years ago. The dam broke. And one of these days it'll probably break again. Because it's not strong enough to withhold the force of water. We cannot put a piece of bubble gum. We cannot put a band-aid on such a great force that's coming against the church in our homes. I take comfort that God said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It doesn't mean the gates of hell will not come against us. If we believe we're the house of Joseph, if we believe we're part of the remnant, if we believe that we're last day Josephs in the house of God, we will experience pain and suffering and trial and tribulations. That's right. But we will experience victory. That's right. And we will experience provision that God will provide for us to continue our journey as families, as homes, 
and even as a church. Build a wall. And if I am allowed by God, there's two more sequels to this sermon. Restoration and becoming Nehemiah people. Two more sermons that God will outline to us how we can rebuild. How we can ensure protection for our families. But foremost and most important, this book must become our moral compass. This book must become our spiritual compass. This book is absolute truth. Absolute truth. Some of it I don't understand. I look through a glass darkly. But I accept it as God's word. I see in part. I know in part. I look through a glass darkly. Like the cataract in my left eye. I don't see clearly. But one day I will. And one day we'll have full knowledge. And full wisdom. But in the meantime. God is gracious enough to come and visit our vine. And our vineyard. And give us the appropriate word and words that we need to protect our homes. And give us the provision to prepare our hearts for what's coming down the road. God is getting ready to do something in our lives. And the only reason the enemy fights us so badly, because he knows there's success on the other side of the bridge that we're en route and we're crossing. I want to end up on the other side of that bridge. And I want the glory of God to fall upon me and that anointing of God not to leave me. You could take everything from a preacher. You could take everything from a preacher. And it would be painful and suffering. But don't take his anointing. Don't take the anointing that God has placed on his life don't take that because through that anointing is the words that God speaks that God brings to the servant of the Lord to give to the people as a provision as a meal to think about in the days of Josiah eventually they rejected the good book. In the days that we're living, we cannot afford to reject the good book. As millions are doing it, and as millions will follow into the apostate church, believing that there's a bad deal on the other side when that man, ungodly man, appears and offers such a plan, such a deal, and such a meal that people will grapple and run over each other to go and receive that mark and say, I want some of that. I don't. And I don't believe your family does either. God bless you. Thank you for listening.